Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Welcome back to 007 by 7 the podcast where we are investigating the James Bond films seven minutes at a time. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at minutes 70 through 77, which begin with a flurry of birds distracting the guards and ends with Bond in handcuffs facing said guards. In between, we see Bond kill a guard, we learn about Honey's past, we finally see the mechanical dragon, which burns poor Quarrel to death, and Bond and Honey are captured by the guards who were driving said dragon. And today we have the hosts of the Star Wars Minute podcast, Alex Robinson and Peter Taylor. Uh, welcome back, guys. You've been... Well, Alex, you haven't been on one of our shows before, I don't think. Now that I have not. It. Thank you for having That's me. Right. Well, welcome on, and Pete, welcome back. We talk all the time, so... Yeah. Yeah, so, hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's all right, you know. Cool. <laughs> well, I always ask everybody, uh, you know, do you remember your first James Bond experience? Do you remember the first Bond film that you saw? So we've been uh, discussing this a little bit ourselves. Uh, for our hiatus this summer, we've been doing uh, kind of watching the Bond movies in order. And because both of us had kind of a gap in that knowledge that we were both kind of uh, familiar enough with it, but not, uh, you know, it's very patchy. And I, so I, you know, we were like, oh, well, we, we're, we should know more about this James Bond stuff than we do, I think, for, for, to be nerds where we are. We should know more about it. And it's, um, uh, I, I think our, mine uh, is a little bit after Alex's. Mine, I think, I want to say Octopussy. I want to say somebody took me to see Octopussy in the theater. We all want to say Octopussy. I, yeah, we, we just want to say Octopussy. <laughs> um, I, I have a weird memory of the specifically the cold open of Octopussy. And I don't remember if that's seeing it in the theater or if that's, you know, later on, on cable or home video or something. But I feel like that, that. The death of a clown really struck, stuck with me. <laughs> uh, the first James Bond movie I ever saw was For Your Eyes Only. Um, but how did you get to see it then? I uh, broke into the headquarters and was suspended on wires, went down and, and snagged Excellent. it. <laughs> um, and so we just watched it, for, as Pete said, for our weekly show. And uh, it seems like a very atypical Bond. So the first one I saw was not a typical uh, entry. But I think prior to our little experiment here, I think I'd only seen three James Bond movies. So uh, un- uncharted territory for most of it. That's amazing. I'm yeah. kind of envious. <laughs> you only get to see your first... Bond movie once, you know, so it's kind of cool that you're visiting it this way. Yeah, but I feel like um, it's, uh, I, I don't know if it's, the, like, I feel like I should have been maybe younger when I saw some of these. I would have enjoyed them more. Now, as a jaded 50-year-old, I see them, and I go, oh, these are either A, corny, or B, like, very uh, uncomfortable to watch, you know, <laughs> Bond basically, you know, assaulting women all the time, that kind of thing, so. Yeah. Uh, but, uh I should take advantage of it because I know there's a lot of things that like, oh, I wish I could listen to that album for the first time. And now I'm just kind of like, I'm going to fast forward through these bits. here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you guys watched them chronologically. So you, so then you, yeah. you, went, you started with Release Dr. No and you've just been moving through. And did you get through all of them? No, we're about halfway through right now. We're working. Uh, as of this recording, we're about. Uh, actually, I think we're about to do Octopussy. Mm-hmm. Right? We just mm-hmm. did. Yeah. So we're, we're right at the point Never where we jumped on. No. We did a... Uh, we did a separate one-minute chunk of Never Say Never Again as an April Fool's thing a couple of years ago, but we didn't. Uh, I, it depends on, I guess, when they, if they release uh, No Time to Die at some point, because the, the, the whole thing was like, oh, it's about the same kind of uh, time frame that if we start now, we'll finish the last one right around the same time they release No Time to Die. So then we'll, we'll our last episode, we'll go see it. But now, of course, everything's changed, so I don't know if they're going to do, you know, video on demand or anything like that. But 
we'll see if they if they postpone it a couple of weeks or, or more. Maybe we'll have to get back and do, uh, you know, the other Casino Royale and Never Say Never Again and the TV special and some James. Yeah, what Bond do you Jr. think? Do episodes? we have a prediction? Do you think they're gonna? Do they think they're gonna just keep waiting until you can get into theaters, or is it gonna come out on? God, I don't demand for me. Demand Bond. Bond's got to kind of come out in a theater. You know, mm. but I, I don't think they can do it. I think they just can't sit on it that long. I don't know how the money works in that case. Sooner or later, you got to start having some returns on that thing, right? You can't shelve a movie that's that expensive for too long. Mm-hmm. Well, and they could charge 30. They're charging 30 bucks for Mulan, right? Uh, now that's the newest high high price number for a VOD film. Right. So they can charge that for Bond and um, start making that money back. But can they make the money back? I don't know how VOD works in that sense. You're 30 bucks for, you could have a party, of, you know, right. so hopefully social distance part of viewing party. And a lot of people are seeing it for super cheap, you know? So I don't know, man, it's gotta be a super tough dis- decision for them. And of course we got Christopher Nolan out there still pushing, pushing tenant forward, hoping that it's still going to come out in September or whatever. And which just seems like madness. But I guess he's trying to set the standard and try to keep the thing alive, and uh, yeah. we'll just have to see how that all falls. I think they should do it. It's a perfect, uh, you know, James Bond is associated with you know cars and product placement, so they just do uh, like get into all the drive-ins around the country and have it, you know, whoever the car sponsor is for this movie, <laughs> probably BMW or something. Just be like, look, it's BMW drive-in event. Like everybody go. As part of a, you know, it's a James Bond thing. Drive your car. If you show up in a in a BMW or an Aston Martin or a... You get in free if you show up in a Citroen. BMW. Yeah. There's <laughs> something perverse and wonderful about seeing the best that Hollywood can produce on a crappy drive-in screen with, yeah. you know, <laughs> a bulbs turned down on the projectors and the sound's crummy. So I don't know. It's... <laughs> the yeah, one, we'll the one we go to is like corrugated steel. Like it's mm. like the worst possible... Screen the Shack movie, but yeah, we're running here in the Midwest. We're running out of time for drive-ins. You know, they're wanting to release in the winter time. I don't oh, right, think that really do it. Yeah, come off. It. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's jump into these these minutes from Doctor No. You guys, it's obviously fresh in your mind because you watched the whole movie <laughs> not not long ago. Um, these are these are kind of weird mem- minutes because it seems like they have a lot of work to do to try to get this relationship happening with Bond and Honey. And I was reading through the sections in the book, and it was interesting because she has way more agency in the book. I mean, the idea of breathing through the straws is her idea. Uh, James Bond decides that he's going to uh, drink some water, this brackish water, and it tastes good, so he's drinking more. And she stops <laughs> him and says, "You really, you shouldn't do that. It'll it'll make you sick." So uh, it's it's really it's really different. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I just started reading the. I've only read one so far of the of the books, and uh, there's no. I soon realized there was no point in trying to keep up with, you know. I couldn't read the books in release order and watch the movies in release order and have it sync up and not not go crazy in my head. Couldn't. Um, couldn't. Why? Well, shouldn't. <laughs> um, but I. Uh, yeah. No. I read Casino Royale and, and then kind of trying to work my way. You know, my way through them. Live and Let Die is up next on my on my docket. But I, I it's weird because I thought this this chunk that we're watching has some fairly indicative Fleming stuff. I feel like it's like, oh, here's like. It, so it's interesting to hear you say that it's it's different than the book in a way because I f- I felt like that was a little bit of Fleming stuff coming through. It's like, oh, here's some kind of uh, you know weird sexism, racism. Here you go, like. Um, you know, and it's a uh, it's a little, little tight little package of what uh, what I got from the book. So it's like, oh, it's like the movies kind of, except with more of that, uh, you know, slathered on there. And so for this to be uh, a nice little chunk of it here, I, I thought this is pure Fleming. But if it's not, that's interesting. No, no, it I'm is. It is. I just more. say that I, I just think that Honey is maybe it's weird because I think she has maybe a little bit more agency and and smarts than she's allowed to have in the in the movie but it pretty much does follow the beats of them arriving and the guards coming out on the boat and then coming back with the dogs and them hiding in the water all that stuff is it's it's compressed in the in the movie it all Mm -hmm. takes place more or less in the same day and they actually have a another night where they're camped out and 
more time to talk, but they keep <laughs> keep it talk. moving right along in the movie, which I think is a, probably a good thing. I, I think Fleming's policy is uh, with female characters is more agency, less clothes. I think that's kind of the trade-off you get. Or the movie, at least we get some clothing, but uh, somehow the balance is off, so they just remove agency from her character, which is, it's almost insulting. Honestly, in the seven minutes, it's almost insulting how poorly drawn she is. Uh, the, I mean, how much do we, do we have anything to talk about with the dogs or the, you know, we could get into that first before we get into uh, the, the big action point at the beginning of these minutes. Uh well, I do but, love any minute that starts out with animals freaking out. Yeah, that's you know, it. Sounds like go to chimps. watch the clip. But yeah, and it's just like it, 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 so it's, it's like totally like monkey b- monkey chimps. sounds. <laughs> well, I think we're back to that archaic sound design we talked about earlier, where I think they just they, their library of sound effects is probably right. real, relatively small. They're <laughs> short on money and time. It's just like just put jungle sounds in jungle sounds, <laughs> and whatever animals in there, it's fine. I love the fact that they're in red, white, and blue behind all those that green foliage is like you guys better get in the water pretty quick because you're standing out dramatically <laughs> there especially in technicolor or eastman color whatever that is right um did you guys i when we watched this the first time i didn't realize that um that she was dubbed honey rider was dubbed and now watching it this even just these minutes keeping that in mind i was like oh yeah there oh yeah okay like i <laughs> I felt it a lot more. It was like, oh, that's yeah, that's not her, yeah. especially because the the accent seems to come and go a little bit. I don't know if you guys have. Yeah, and apparently they used the same girl to dub her voice, and then Tanya in From Russia with Love, and Domino in Thunderball. So like, v, they don't yeah. even take the time to get a different girl. They just and use this. yeah, she keeps going. She's she's uh, she's in You Only Live Twice and Secret Service and Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, part of Jane Seymour's bit in Live and Let Die. like The same girl, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Nikki Vanderzil. No She's been a yeah. favorite of ours. Uh, we just we just passed her. I think her last bit was in Moonraker. So we just escaped the Vanderzil era. Of, uh, does she dub <laughs> Corinne Clary? Is that who she, she does. dubs in Moonraker? And yeah. Leila Shenna. I don't, I don't remember who Leila Shenna is, but... Oh, you she know, was the we, evil air hostess. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, there the air go. hostess and right. at the beginning of Moonraker, right? So, Any higher, Mr. Bond, and my ears will pop. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's wow. interesting. There's a moment in the book too that that's weirdly uh, fitting for Fleming, where she she notices that Bond keeps looking at her, and she finally just stops and says, "Go ahead and look at me," because it's just, it's distracting the situation. And I just want to read this because it's kind of interesting. It says Bond turned and looked at her. Her tattered shirt came down to the waterline. There was a glimpse of pale, wavering limbs below. The beautiful face smiled at him. In the mangroves, the broken nose seemed appropriate in its animalness. Bond looked at her slowly. She understood. He turned and went on downstream as she followed him. And I just sort of wondered, like, okay, is that Bond thinking she understood something? Or is Fleming actually jumping into her head? You know, it's mm-hmm. like... It's because the the po- the stance that Fleming takes, and you'll see it obviously in Casino Royale, is like it's kind of this limited omniscience where you're mostly getting everything filtered through James Bond's perception. But then there are these moments where, like, I'm not I'm not sure if if this is Bond thinking this or if this is Fleming injecting himself into the situation or into somebody's head. And is this an example of Fleming's limited writing ability, <laughs> where sometimes? <laughs> The the critic where the critics took him to task, like buddy, you got to pick a lane, you got to figure this out. We need to know this. If you're <laughs> stopping to ask that question while you're reading a book, uh, it's not exactly literary gold, you know. Buddy, so, you better pick a lane. <laughs> I guess I said that. Kingsley Amos that said that sense. actually in one of his reviews. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in my head, there's the kind of uh, you know the narrative voice of of Ian Fleming kind of worked for me with it, but it, it's notably different. I'm anxious to see how that evolves. I, I'd like to read this one and see what the, uh, although th- even this one within this, uh, as we're, as we'll talk about, I guess the, it's, it feels outside of the voice of James Bond, like the Eon production is voice a little bit because they were still getting their footing. So it's like a weird, not only, it would be like a double uh, removal from the kind of uh, you know because the, the the film bond has become kind of the the main 
um, you know, most people's conception of it. And so for, for the novels to be slightly removed from that and then for this to be slightly removed from that in a different way because it's the, they hadn't fully gotten their, um, you know, their, their voice yet. It's interesting that they add this element to um, Honey that she's kind of out for revenge because she's decided that Dr. No killed her father. That's not in the book. Um, although it's very Fleming-esque because there's plenty of other women who show up in Bond books that, that are out for revenge. So right. it, it does seem like because they didn't have Casino Royale, they're putting a lot of stuff that's kind of these little tips of the hat to other books or even to Casino Royale, frankly, introducing Bond in the casino. And that is none of that in the book of Dr. No. Right. It's almost like they're trying to get away with um, pinching as much from that as they can, even though they don't have the rights to it. <laughs> How frequently does Bond go to casinos in the books? Because obviously it's a, it's a you know a staple of the movies. I guess there would pro- there must be a casino scene in in uh, Diamonds Are Forever because it's set in Vegas. Obviously, Casino Royale, Thunderball has one. Is that about it? I'm not sure. He Just plays one. cards with Drax, but I'm not sure it's a casino scene. But they have a they oh, have right. a cutthroat game of whist or gin or something. When <laughs> Doesn't yeah. I was amused when Pete told me they played right? bridge in a recent book. It's, right? it's bridge, yeah. yeah That's it's bridge it, yeah. in 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 Moonraker. Yeah, bridge. So, I don't know. It's I know. I know. Well, they they play bridge, bridge in at this, the beginning but... of Doctor No too. They're all sitting right, but the... it's all the it's all the squares that are playing bridge. It's not mm. Bond. <laughs> That's the, and the and the supervillain. It seems. And who was their other? I mean, they're, they're playing bridge. They have to have two more, right? Who? Don't you have to make people to play bridge? Jaws and Knickknack were the other. Were the <laughs> okay, other right. yeah. That's a great. <laughs> the other duo. So was Jaws with Bond? Uh, anyway. <laughs> so I guess the, you know, speaking to what you were just saying, Mitch, with her, uh, with Honey Ryder and her revenge plot that she reveals, or that this story she tells of taking revenge. With that and and her knife pulling on Bond originally when she thought her shells were threatened. We have this thing seen which in between those two things, which is Bond dispatching of a guard by stabbing him and her being absolutely just horrified and disgusted by it. And I hate that. I think that's just awful. Not only in the way that it's executed, it's really, really ham fistedly. They cut away as he stabs them and she puts her hands to her face like, like home alone and says, why? And I was like, and I'm thinking, hey, just a minute ago, I thought you were ready to stab somebody. And I did. I believed she would stab somebody for those shells. I didn't think she was, it was an empty threat or that she was unwilling to commit violence against a person to defend herself. And then we find out afterwards that she has murdered somebody. So why is this stabbing so shocking? What is the point of it? Anybody got a guess on that? Because I just think it's really out of place. Could she be faking it? Like, Making Bond think that she's, uh, you know, uh, I mean, delicate flower. There's that's a guess, but I'm not sure. She seemed to be wanting to make Bond think she's a she's tough. Like before. it's a real World War II commando move, you know, the way he kills the guy by coming up behind him and, and stabbing the yeah. knife in, and then cutting away from it. In the book, the guard steps on him and he pops out of the water and shoves his pistol up against the guy's chest and pulls the trigger, and hmm. uh, and, and really just really kills him, and uh, and then turns to Honey and said, "I had to do that." You know, she at least she doesn't ask. Yeah, he says I had to do that, not like oh that just sounds like he had heartburn or something like. He just <laughs> right, right. No, no quip, nothing. You know. Right. Wow. Put some For iron time. in his diet. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't There's know. Just shell. Something like shot that. through the heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to blame, but I had to do it. Yeah, I just so what do we make of? I mean, from a technical standpoint, Mitch, if you're making this movie. Is there a reason why they had to cut to her? Do you think that there's a reason? I, like I think they, it conceals the gag. They're shooting yeah. fast. They said they, Young says he shot that whole sequence in a day. So okay. they're moving very quickly. And probably for the censor's sake, cutting away to the girl and the reaction takes you away from the violence itself. But right. We've seen people get stabbed in war movies before without cutting away like in the back we don't actually see the knife at all no you don't, like, you don't. Fact, maybe that's it, it. Four maybe, times it, wasn't very, didn't maybe it wasn't convincing i don't yeah, know i don't know it's just to me it's just a really uh it's it might be this might be my least favorite part of the whole movie is that cut honestly <laughs> it's just so bad to me i don't know if everybody else feels as strongly about it as i do but it's it's real goofy and 
out of Good. place for the character. It, it undermines, like you said, Mitch, they're trying to put in all this work in a very short period of time to establish this relationship, establish her character, who we've, we're just meeting halfway through the film, and then establish their relationship, and then you've established something, we've got something we're building on, and then you undercut it with this thing that I think runs counter to what she just established. And then you try to get back to, hey, she's a tough gal, she murdered a guy, and then she asks... What was I wrong? Was it wrong to do that? You know, I think that's all good character stuff, and yet this thing kind of cuts it off at the knees. Well, technically, she didn't murder a guy. She just happened to put a spider somewhere, and then the spider did the killing. So it's like, oh, that's true. Okay. That directness is maybe what uh, turns her off. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, couldn't you just, like, find a snake and put a snake around (laughs) him or something? Or. uh... Well, if if, if earlier when Bond steps towards her and she pulled a knife, if she would have pulled out a spider. Right, there you go. Like, and, and said, so I'll throw this at you if you come any close. Because <laughs> I, I still believe that she was going to stab. Like, if she believes somebody was stealing her $50 shell, I think I believe she's stabbing them. And so I just don't know. It just bothers me that she's so right. shocked at this. She could even be a little shocked, but the hands to the face is a little. <laughs> that's a little much. She communes with the animals in the book. She has this whole story about as a young girl how she had this ability to live with all these animals and she had carried snakes around on her on her neck and and she made friends with scorpions. I mean, it's ludicrous. Bond (laughs) even thinks of her as the girl Tarzan. Even they even say Mm -hmm. that in the in the text. So I don't know. It's like those are probably good things that we got rid of that. Her big plan was she's going to take the money from all those shells. She's going to move to the city and she's going to become a prostitute and make enough money to have plastic surgery to fix her nose. That was also eliminated <laughs> from the book. What? <laughs> wow. Well, f- yeah. Fleming yeah. just knows women so well. <laughs> With that whole thing, I thought you were going to say she wanted to move to like the jungle and live in a like, but then she's going to live to the city and get a plastic surgery. Where it's that girl Tarzan's <laughs> New York adventure is what it's it is. Terrible. Oh, like a crocodile oh, Dundee thing. I see. Right. Got it. Exactly. That's not a spider. This is a spider. <laughs> right. Do you think those falls, those are the same waterfalls that they're just using from different angles, right? The ones that are oh yeah, down in, they're down to the beach, and then they must have just gone into the jungle and just kind of aimed the camera in a different direction to put it behind them, right? I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. Probably. I mean, like, the, you know, the limited time again, they're not going to move. You could do different camera setups in one location is going to save you a lot of time. So, yeah, I think you're probably right. They're beautiful, though, beautiful falls. They ADR'd everything because he said the sound guy couldn't get any sound. They couldn't even get a guide track, apparently. It was very, hmm. so they so they had to oh, wow. do everything. Not that it mattered to Ursula Andrus. I guess she was, <laughs> right, she was yeah. going to be a dubbed anyway. <laughs> they say that, uh, Terrence Young said that he saw her picture on a desk in Daryl Zanuck's office. And Zanuck said, yeah, there's a bunch of scripts and pictures and take anything. And he found that one. He said, can I have it? Zanuck said, sure, take it. And then he said he kept leaving it in the offices in, in London for the producers to see, and they finally called about her, and the casting director in charge of said, I don't know if she can act, but obviously she's beautiful. And so she said yes to the role. She was staying at Kirk Douglas's place, and he was encouraging her to take the role, thinking it would be fun. And at this point, they were headed to Jamaica, and so a, Terrence Young said, pay her $1,000, tell her to pack for Jamaica, he flew her to New York, and he said either she'll fly back and won't have the part, but at least she'll get a grand, or she'll go to Jamaica. And he said he met her and said, all right, we're going to Jamaica. Here we go. <laughs> and she made $1,000 on the deal. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> well, then there was a bit exciting. of a panic about her voice, though, right? Like, I, I've heard people that were around at the time describe her voice as rather shocking, uh, when you hear her speak, they're like, uh, I don't know if that's going to work on film. Shocking or at least how? Get the, well, she had a, 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 I forget where she's from exactly. She's, she's Scandinavian. German. Or German. Okay. And, and she had an accent and they were, and they were like, and I think it was a kind of, it was kind of deep. I've heard different stories from this oral history I've been listening to. And people were like, that's not going to work on film. Like it's, we're going to have to, and obviously they figured that out, but, um, it's funny that casting from a picture, you know, is a funny right. concept. Uh, that seems very, that's tracks for James Bond movies. It does, though, right? <laughs> yeah. it, it makes perfect sense. She was wearing a wet, white T-shirt in the picture. <laughs> Say, well. there you she's go. dressed very similarly in this, uh, in this scene here. 
And the bikini, they ordered three white bikinis from uh, Saks in New York, and they were sent down to Jamaica. And then T Tessa Pendergast, who was building all the costumes, she and Ursula Andress worked together and took these three white bikinis and cut them and changed them and turned them into that iconic swimming suit, which then hmm. went off. Apparently, they were flew off the shelves after that uh, movie <laughs> came out. That's weird. I don't think about... Uh, I mean, I guess... It, 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 Hard to think about this outside of the uh, kind of the whole oeuvre, you know, just but just this itself being, um, you know, an event movie that that, that uh, like, oh, well, like the the bikini from Dr. No is not something that I've ever thought about before as like a like, oh, that's a thing. But like, I'm sure at the time it was like, oh, yeah. Have you seen that Dr. No? And then there's like the famous, you know, that year it was the hottest item of 62 or whatever. So. There's a quote from Orson Welles saying the two greatest screen entrances in, in movies was Omar Sharif in Lawrence of Arabia and <laughs> Ursula Andress in Dr. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, uh, you know, hard to erase the, I mean, we run into this with Star Wars all the time, but hard to erase the kind of, uh, the weight of, of what it's become and just see it as like, oh, like, you know, I've seen this a million times, but to be sitting in there having only seen the movies that came before it and all of a sudden see, you know, the Star Destroyer flying overhead or something like that, it's like, oh, right. That, that's a whole different thing. This is like, we're used to it, so. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure the Sim Simpsons must have made fun of it too, right? So we're always, right. it seems like we're always operating <laughs> in the shadow of the Simpsons. Yeah, right. there's a whole other level now. There's like three <laughs> layers of, of everything. So we get a discovery here. So Quarrel finds something, calls their attention to it, the tracks in the dirt. And here we are again with another... Uh, part that kind of bothers me and Alex you know I think I know that this bothers you a little bit too I think I heard you guys talking about this already so let's talk about the fact that they refer to these obvious tire tracks as dragon tracks and seem to be maintaining still a belief in dragons or am I misunderstanding I mean I guess it's 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 hard to look at it now from now and be like were people did people think there were dragons in 1962? <laughs> even no, like I even don't think even so. Jamaicans, like you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, or her. I mean, any of any of them. It seems it seems that Bond already pretty rationally explained earlier. Well, even if they believed in dragons before they told him about it, that it's something that looks like a dragon, but it's not a dragon. And I feel like anybody anybody would go. Oh, yeah, I guess you're probably right. But here they see tire tracks yeah. and say it's dragon tracks. It's like, what? how far are we taking? Again, talking about the Simpsons, you know, there's that rule on the Simpsons about how stupid can Homer be, right? <laughs> there's like this limit you can go. And I almost, I think maybe Homer might be able to pull this off because he's a parody character. But this is almost like parody that they believe they look at. These are like tractor tracks. It's I don't know. To me, it's, it becomes maybe in 1962 you could swallow this when you're watching a movie, but I don't know. It's it's a little rough. Maybe viewers what? in 1962 were racist enough to think, well, those Jamaicans, we obviously being smart white people would not think that, but maybe these Jamaicans probably believe that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I mean that's it, the. It's like oh yeah, you know the minorities and women. They'll believe anything. Like it's this, the the <laughs> cultured British man has to come in and be like, "No, no, come on. Here's the here's the logical explanation." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I really do think that that you're right, but that earlier that worked for me as an explanation. But this is taking it a step too far because he already schooled them on it. I don't know. It's like, come on, like you could have the tracks. And then they could say it's the dragon. Okay, the dragon. We're talking metaphorically about this thing that looks like a dragon. But no, they call them dragon tracks. <laughs> like right. I'm like, that would be like a talon-looking thing or something, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny to me that they worded I think they could have written this just a little bit better. In I would like to think that even, they learned. In right the now. book, she even calls him Mr. Know-it-all. She still does. She still mm. thinks he just doesn't know anything <laughs> about this dragon thing. <laughs> and it's like... Quarrel, by the way, walks up with an M1 rifle that he's taken from the dead guard, which Bond didn't take. And that, that made me think for a minute, oh, yeah, like when Bond knifed that guy, why didn't he take his machine gun? Yeah. Yeah, who's Mr. Know-it-all now? Yeah. <laughs> Quarrel so seems again, to understand. <laughs> uh, 
James Bond's making it up as he goes along, clearly. <laughs> I'm looking at Wikipedia here, and it says that this might be a clue. In 1961, Ford released the Ford Dragon. That's what they thought it was. They thought it was a <laughs> grand name of a car. That's it. So The whole time, right. they thought it was the Ford Dragon. <laughs> it was just a misunderstanding. Yeah. <laughs> Product placement gone awry. Is the... Nice. Yeah. And he's going like, "No, you idiots! Like this, um, it can't be a dragon." And they're like, "No, it's a dragon. It's got, uh, you know, eight cylinders." Um, <clears throat> yeah, there, he says uh, he dismisses uh, Quarrel's fear. He says, "Forget the spooks, Quarrel." And uh, I, the first time I heard, I had to back it up because I thought he said, uh, "Forget the spook squirrel." <laughs> I'm like, "What's a spook squirrel?" And I had to back it up. And I was like, "Oh, forget the spooks squirrel." Okay, yeah. that makes much more sense. But I Buick's... love the idea of a spook squirrel. I am more likely to believe in a spook squirrel than a dragon. I'll exactly. tell you that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, spook squirrel. Well, spook squirrel. She could commune with it. I'm sure, honey. It, it right. did exist. She could send it to do her. Uh, you know, like go spook squirrel. Go find help, and then it runs off. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Brings in Felix Leiter and his gang, and they, they save the day. Oh, man. You're writing a better movie right here. <laughs> Did they miss the warning sign? So that's the next shot is them is, well, is that, that Dolly reveals the warning sign. Did they just, just didn't clock that? or, or? I, I feel like they've missed multiple warning signs <laughs> already. I mean, we talked in previous episodes about why they're still here, even. Like, I think you've got enough evidence to bring in the army or whatever you're going to do. Um I felt like it was one of those film, you know, this filmmaker, here's the sign, hey, audience, realize that they're passing the point of no return here. I don't know if it's, they know already they're not supposed to be going here, so I don't know if it's telling us anything that, that the characters are supposed to be learning or not learning from omission. I don't know. Hmm. I just took it to be like telling the audience there's danger, more danger. It's escalating now. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I think that then the director's thought was that they would then somehow be able to just cut straight from that warning sign to them coming upon the dragon. And the editor realized that, that this would be a long walk because that scene was going to be at night and they're still during the day. So how do I get out of this pickle? And if you look at it, what he did was he went and he took three shots that we've already seen of the three of them in the water and darkened two of them to start <laughs> to make it look like they're going into night. But... The sweat on Bond's chest is exactly the same as it was earlier when they were before they killed the guard. So it's the editor of trying to make a transition that didn't exist in the movie at this point and get us into night. Yeah. Hmm. Which they clearly shot at night, by the way, guys. <laughs> make no mistake about uh, it. They wouldn't this lie to the, us. <laughs> this is not day for, well, it might be day for night, actually. It's uh, funny, it's all the production good. stills of that stuff is, you know, broad daylight yeah. of what's right. what's about to come up. And so, yeah, they were, again, running, racing against the clock because it was getting, they were losing the light and they still had to film this gunfight with this dragon business. And gunfight with the dragon. The, <laughs> the editor has said repeatedly that it's like he didn't have enough footage and he was constantly trying to accelerate the cutting and try to figure out a way to make this confrontation with the dragon as as exciting as they could like would it benefit from kind of just you know cutting in some you know studio stuff like a you know i think it happens more it's more of like a 70s vibe but you know do like a crazy you know zoom into the front of it or something like that you know like a, a, just add a couple of more shots to make it uh but they, i don't know even so like it, it's weird because i don't want it to be more dramatic because it's not it's still a stupid thing <laughs> so like if it was <laughs> yeah. like heightened up as this like oh there's still this dangerous battle against this dragon but then you know it's just a, like a painted car and you're like eh. so here it's just like well all right well they didn't that wasn't too dramatic but also like look it's just it's just a car <laughs> yeah get through it as fast and painlessly as we can yeah. right because the because uh but bond seems annoyed that quarrel runs right up next to him to start shooting together and then it's almost like, go over there, go get away. <laughs> yeah. Is that a tactical thing or is that just a... Or is that a movie star thing? Or is that right. a... Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wonder. What are they doing here? Am I missing something, Mitch? Are you asking me? Sure. <laughs> we, this is like, hey, this is the theme of the show. Every episode I, I say, am I, I know, missing something? Part, Please this help This part me. is hard. This is hard to get through. There's no doubt yeah. about it. I don't even think 
when I was a little kid, and I well, not a little kid, but I when I saw this movie at what twelve or something, I'm not even sure I was all that convinced about this dragon thing. Maybe <laughs> it was a little more cool than it would be when I'm fifty, but right. <laughs> I don't know. What would Johnny Quest do? <laughs> he would Haji would do some something uh, mystical to get them away out of the the range of the fire. That's all. That's all you got to do is stay out of the range of the fire and you're pretty good, right? Um and then it's night, you can hide any any old place. I don't know. It seems like they're just hey, we got to get them caught. We got to get Quirrell killed. Let's just get it done. Even if they look like complete idiots doing it. I think that's mm. what we're getting here and it's kind of sad. It's not I would like for it to be a little bit more clever. That's all. You guys are really glad you got these minutes, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know, funny. I've totally forgot that these minutes were in the movie until, like, when when I was talking to John, and I was like, yeah, Dr. No. And it's like, in my head, I was recataloging. And I was like, yeah, then they go to that one part, and then they get, they're in the base. And then I forgot that this whole thing happened. So it's an interesting, it's, it's a weird transition between two different parts of the movie. So Yeah. Watching one yeah, James I, Bond movie a week for for twelve weeks or whatever we've been doing, uh, they really do tend to blend together into one long, you know, one long like, secretly infiltrating uh, enemy's giant base kind of feeling. Yeah. When you were watching them at that rate, did 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 what stood out? Which ones did rise above the rest of the crop? I'm curious. Well, it's different for each of us. I think we're we're because we're about halfway through, and so far I think. We each have three in our top tier, and the only overlap was Goldfinger, right? I think so. I think mine so far were Goldfinger, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and I just put another one in there not too long ago that I really liked. Oh, Thunderball. <laughs> that wasn't right in there. Yeah, Goldfinger, Thunderball, and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I think the only ones in my top tier still. There's a couple of other ones that bubbled near it, but... And then, Alex, you... We both like Thunderball. You threw um, well, I Fear Eyes Only in there. I threw Fear Eyes Only in there, and I don't know how much of that is just nostalgia. but right. um, It's the most serious of the Roger Moore ones, and so it, yeah. I can see why, if that's more your cup of tea, why that would be the one that would be at the top. I mean, I, I can certainly see that the case for that. I, I'm not sure how I, uh, I... I don't know if I like a serious Bond or a jokey Bond. I mean, I guess either extreme gets <laughs> gets bad, but um, I know I don't want to see any more Sheriff Culpepper. That I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely pushing it past the line of yeah. just good humor in an action movie. You know, yeah, I agree with you on that one. I it like definitely that signaled they were going in a certain direction when he shows up in Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay, <laughs> I got your number. <laughs> And then they do it with Jaws twice as well. So, yeah, he's less. I mean, it's much less egregious with him, where it's just like, you know, they didn't lean too far into just. Uh, let's spend a lot of time looking, you know, having Jaws be, uh, you know, featured and insulting here. They like with, you know, with the sheriff. They they spent it was like this whole derailment of the movie. That it's like, oh, we got to watch this guy for a while, and bring him back. But Jaws, yeah. Twice we gotta we gotta go watch this guy for a while. Hey, remember that part that you hated from the last movie? Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> but Jaws, it feels like it was the opposite. It was like you know he fonzied a little bit, and it was you know it was like oh hey remember that thing that everybody wrote us about how much they liked? Yeah, we brought that back because we didn't have any plans to do this movie anyway. So let's just uh, let's patch some stuff together. What did you what you like? Jaws, great. We got him. What was else? Jaws do you like? that Shirley Bassett, popular? Great. We got her. Was Jaws that popular that he was the only, the, other than Blofeld, sort of, the only James Bond movie, to the only James Bond villain to come back? Like, I guess he was popular. Yeah. I, I think he, he was, was extraordinarily popular. I think yeah, he was. Yeah. And it was a combination of, you know, production, scrambling into production on Moonraker when they didn't intend to, and then combined with, oh, well, we got a popular thing here. Let's Let's ride that, you know, while we can. And according to the, um, I forgot who said it, but they were they, they got letters in the mail from kids, like asking if Jaws was really bad or not, which is what led to spoilers, but led leads to his uh, change of heart. And so it was like not only popular but popular with kids. So yeah, See, you I, know, it's it's weird when you look at the th- early Connery movies that 
they were thinking about kids all the time. <laughs> and it's like you look at Dr. No and you think, yeah, this one's this really is one for the kids or from Russia <laughs> with Love. Same it's thing. Got a, it's got a dragon. Kids like dragons. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I loved Jaws as a kid, like mm-hmm. the biting through the steel cable. And um, for some reason, I meld him in my mind with six million dollar man like he could have been a villain mm-hmm. on the six million dollar man episode or something i don't know why bigfoot. but he um i did yeah, meet him bigfoot. oh maybe bigfoot a little bit i met him when i was a kid he was a christian he was like a hardcore christian in the 80s and he came and spoke at this uh this thing called youth for christ that my sister went to um bigfoot or richard keel <laughs> richard keel and i went to it i never went to it i didn't want to go to it usually it was like a saturday night hey teenage Christian kids come hang out at this place. But he showed up to be a speaker there and I went to that one. Mm. Uh, so I got to meet him for just a second. It's got to be um, your biggest brush with Bond greatness, right? Literally biggest the biggest. Brush with, literally. <laughs> like in, yeah, in both ways. He was giant. He was so, his hand was so big. Uh, it was really cool. And uh, it was just for a second. It was one of those things where he shook his hand in a line or whatever. But uh, I was excited about it. And I was probably like 12 years old by then. Because I thought Jaws was great, and I never cared for the the more movies, but he was great. You know, I always liked those. So uh, I could see, I get it, I get why they had that those ideas. And the kids, I never heard that story about kids writing in, but um, I don't remember any confusion. I just thought he was cool. I didn't right. care if he was good or bad. What well, it does also make me wonder, like, did they? Well, a were they just making that up because they wanted to? But or like. Was that? Did they also get letters like from kids saying like, you know, our job is so cool. Why did he have to be bad? Like, you know, Mr. Kid and Mr. Wint are so cool. Why do they have to be bad? You know, like, like all those other like, like how many letters did they get from kids each movie? So. Mitch, is an odd job one of your first memories? It's it is yeah my first my first movie memory was the hat cutting did the you, statue. Did you wish he was good? No. <laughs> did you ever go? Oh, it'd be cool I never if he was did. A good I didn't guy. really think about that. I'm... I can't remember anything else about the movie, actually. Although eventually, I guess I had the toy car, but I, I probably remember the car stuff. But it's just that moment is the moment that yeah. I remember. And it's weird because with you guys, when you got to the Roger Moore movies, you watched those kind of. They were James Bond movies already, but they still had to find a stride, right? So they kind of hit that stride with Spy Who Loved Me as the what kind of a thing. Yeah. What did you figure with Connery when you were watching the early ones? When did what did is goldfinger when it just congealed pretty much i think that's when it it falls into and I, I, how much of that is the cart leading the horse too that like you know it was they hit a formula and then it was so successful and then it's like all right well this is this is what it is now you know like that they stuck with that because it was um i mean would they have kept changing it you know kind of uh, you know f- to find new footing if it if goldfinger hadn't been so successful but i think that's that's where it it fully forms because you get the you know you get the the song happening you get the opening credits you know the the you, 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 all the all the elements that we think of as James Bond for the most part come together um, first in that one and we, the, you know these first two are, are getting there but um, it's all it's all a lot closer in that one and then yeah they they I think behind the scenes stuff led to a lot of fatigue in between. Um, you know, between the the last two Connery movies with Lazenby in there, and then the first couple of Roger Moore movies, it's also like they're they're still fighting the lawsuit over Thunderball in the background, and they're they're kind of like feeling this fatigue pressure thing. So they're not always kind of firing on all cylinders. So then when they the lawsuit actually causes them to take a production break for a little bit, and there's a gap of a couple of, of like two or three years, then that and. Uh, Harry Saltzman sells to UA and then they, they, they have this kind of, all right, let's reconvene, get it all together. And that's where then Spy Who Loved Me is like, okay, that's that's the first one back. So they're like, oh, okay, all right, we, we figured out what we're doing now. And then they throw it away again to do like, oh, wait, Star Wars, let's make Moonraker. And so they fall back on bad habits, but then they kind of click yeah. back into it. it. It's funny. It's like Bond as a franchise does really well with a break, I right. think. Sort of like a coach that wins always off the bye week or whatever. They <laughs> they take some time and they don't try to push the franchise forward. Goldeneye is the easily the best Brosnan, right? Casino Royale is incredible, and that's a that's a really taking a break and recalibrating the whole franchise. It seems like every time they do that, they do well. And uh, a lot of my favorite movies. I mean, Lazenby is an example of it too, and I think that's an amazing. You know, uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is arguably the best of the of all the films. 
So yeah, it's funny how that works. They maybe should always take it slow. Well, they do take it pretty slow now, whether now, they want yeah. to or not. Uh, but but it almost seems like if if you're recalibrating, like take your time. Don't push them out. Quantum of Solace was arguably a mistake, right? You know, uh, you guys haven't gotten there yet, but they made it pretty quickly after, and it's like maybe you should have taken your time. You know, so <laughs> well, that's and they funny had a writer strike off. too. So they writer strikes to, don't that, help. Yeah, that didn't help either. I'm and very maybe, uh, wrong director. I'm very cynical, and I think James Bond movies, um, money is their primary. I think with most movies, money is the primary motivator. So while it's it's great artistically if they wait five years in between movies, I guess to them they're like, well, we're leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table that we could be taking. So they're like, why not take a chance on coming out with a crappy one that will – Make money. That's all we really care about. So. Yeah, it's not going to lose <laughs> yeah, money no matter what. I don't think. Yeah, it'll open that opening weekend. Will happen just because it says right. James Bond. It could be the worst movie you ever saw in your life. Right. Yeah, or Spectre. So. I don't know. I think Spectre made money, but it was probably a disappointment too. Uh, a lot of people. I don't think Spectre made the money they hoped it would. So um, Quantum Solace too. I mean that that movie in particular. I think left a lot of people really flat and I don't think got the repeat viewings they hope repeat viewings do help with these movies they do want them to be good enough that people come back hmm. because that's where you get the billion dollars from that's why they the Marvel movies make a billion dollars have that pattern know? of overreaching which is really interesting and sometimes it it works like they they really did bet the farm on the spy who loved me and it worked and then did Moonraker they spent so much money on it I don't know whether it was financially more successful than the spy who loved me or not it, uh, we just talked about this too. I'm trying to figure because there's a weird, um, you know, Moonraker they did as a, a Anglo-French co-production right. to right. For, for tax loopholes. So the, who knows what other, you know, if that counts into profitability or not. Um, but I think it, it might be the it might have been the most financially successful. I, I was just trying to figure out what. I looked up yeah, Skyfall to figure out right. which ones are the most successful, but um, I can't figure out what uh, what the the highest grossing one. Oh wait, here we go. Uh, nope, that's the core crew. Never mind. I thought there was a Sky- list here of like like how how successful they were, but Sky- Skyfall made the most money on paper, I think, right. without. Uh, adjusting for inflation i don't know if we, if you adjust for how many asses in the seats kind of ticket sales right i don't know what's the most successful but skyfall made a billion dollars right it wasn't that the first billion dollar bond uh, I, I think I it know. got at least very close so um so do you think that this bond fatigue or lack of because they have these breaks when you think about star wars is are, are we hitting a point where there's star wars fatigue where they're they're pumping them out too fast that's what some people theorize. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, think there's that's, a lot to be said for that, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the most... Um, the reason why... The biggest reason why, as, we've, as we have discussed and we will discuss in, in depth down the road, but I think why, why Solo didn't do that, uh, it underperformed according to their expectations at the box office because it came out you know, six months after, five months after the last one, and that's just too, too much. They can't, you know, it, it's... Hard to believe that people have limited, uh, you know, either financial or, or mental resources for Star Wars, but uh, but it's it's out there, and so oh, I what? think that you know, just like these two, it helps to take a break with these. I think if they take a break now with Star Wars, it'll it'll help. So, how have the Marvel movies managed to get away with it? That's what I was just going to come in with. I think because the Marvel movies are are much closer to a television model than they are a film franchise model. While they'll come out with a three hour long movie. They're playing the game of, aren't you interested in this overarching story? Aren't you interested in how this character plays into that story? Even if the um, particular movie is separate from this Avengers plotline like Thanos and so forth. But at the same time, they were, they we all kind of groan when it happens. I think most of us groan when it happens where they tie it into the other movie just for a moment or bring in a character just for a moment. But I'm telling you, that's a hook. It hooks mm-hmm. people. They go, oh yeah, this is part of the big. This is a part of the epic season that is this um, arc of Marvel, where I think they just came to the end of the of season one, maybe that's giant season <laughs> right. of 
episodes where they finally came to the end, and now they're taking a big long break, whether they wanted to or not. I mean, I don't think they were getting they were going too crazy anyway. But that's it. I think they hook you like a television show hooks you. It's more like a lost kind of thing or something where you're like, I got to know what happens next. And I feel it. I don't really, I mean, if I didn't have a kid, I don't know how I'd feel about Marvel movies. But because I can kind of watch through my son's eyes a little bit, I really enjoy them. And I do. I get really excited to see the next one. And I'm ready to see. I'm sold. And so I understand. Yeah, I went through... I went through fatigue with the Marvel movies. I, I, I think maybe a lot of people did, but then when they went, you know, they kind of got pretty samey in a little, you know, for a while in the middle. And then they, either they refound their footing or I just passed through it onto the other side so that by the end of that big arc, and again, it's because they're not, you know, it's, it's, they can switch around to other characters, so it's not like you're just watching the Avengers every time. It's like you're watching the Avengers. Oh, and then we'll go over here and we'll have, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Or, you know, then we'll cut back and have, you know, Ant-Man, which was much smaller. Well, yes, smaller movie. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, and still tie it in, but we can, uh, you know, change tone and change characters enough that you're not just feeling you're getting the same thing over and over again. And, yeah, I, I have the same problem that kind of that, that you have now, that I, I came back around and I'm, like, fully... Like my my interest in the Marvel movies peaked right before Endgame, and I was like, "Yeah, bring them on!" And I was like, "Oh wait, okay, now I have to just <laughs> yeah. wait for more." Huh? Well, yeah, one of the last James I, Bond I, movies is is a series that's they've leaned into a TV model more with the four Daniel Craig James Bond films. That it's been true. a continuing saga. I'm ready for them to take a break and move on to a, you know a new Bond, but. I would venture to guess that interest in James Bond movies might be at an all at an all time high. Yeah, <laughs> it nice came, one. there it came. Um, <laughs> I really do. I think more more just regular everyday people are interested in James Bond now than they ever were. I honestly do, and I don't just mean well. A lot of people back in the day would go see a James Bond. Oh, James Bond movies out. Sure, I'll go see it. Now I think they actually care about. They like James Bond movies. I think it's established itself as a genre even more so now, a very specific genre. And people actually do, I think, care about Daniel Craig's James Bond and what's going to happen to him. And I think it's going to get worse. We've talked about this before. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever discussed this. I think it's going to get more like the television model. I think they're going to branch out a little bit and create other characters within the universe of James Bond. I think that that's, they're seeing Marvel do it, and that's where the money's at. And with I, the other thing I would say about the Star Wars, difference between Star Wars and Marvel real quick Marvel plays with different genres a lot more than Star Wars does, too. So when you see Captain America, Winter Soldier, and you're thinking about Three Days of the Condor, that's a tonal change that's very specific, where Rogue One feels a little bit like Guns of Navarone or Dirty Dozen, but it's really just a Star Wars movie. There's just no escaping Star Wars as its own genre. I don't think Marvel... I think Marvel's able to escape their own genre a little bit more, and I think, again, that's a part of it, too. Sorry right. to interrupt you, Pete. No, no, I agree. It's, you know, it, hopefully they'll figure that out as they go, because I feel like the, the well, maybe it'll happen more on TV, talking about going in more into the TV model, but The Mandalorian, I feel like, was really successful for them, and because it went into different genre, feel, you know, there's the, uh, you know, very much kind of a Western underlying thing and a samurai kind of feel to it, and also like, oh, and here's a prison break one. Oh, and also here's just, you know, um, you know these... these elements and they can pop around and do you know the, the different genres on a smaller scale so that might be the might be the future of it all as a weirdly an episode of the mandalorian also featured a bunch of dumb villagers who thought that a machine was a dragon right <laughs> that's yeah. true of course in star wars you could believe it because who knows what people on that planet know exactly like we don't have the shared culture experience that they have right. so Sure, they've never seen a machine before. Why not? Star <laughs> Wars, you could be dragons. You have a lot of room. Well, yeah, well, there are dragons in Star Wars, actually. <laughs> yeah. so. They have more um, excuse, at least. If yeah. you made Dr. No today, maybe the treads would be like rotating foot treads and it would actually mm. look like dragon feet. And so you could at least try to sell the gimmick stronger. Yeah. You know, It'd be at 209 from Robocop yeah, or right. something. You'd have some, which is kind of what the uh, ATST in The Mandalorian is. And there we are. <laughs> But uh, yeah, 
you're right. T- today they would definitely be trying to make this more be- this part more believable. That's for sure. <laughs> they wouldn't be trying to sell us tire tracks as dragon tracks by any means. So I, I have to ask the question: uh, w- Did you have any reaction to the death of Quarrel? So that's kind of where we are now, I guess, in these minutes. Um, no. At the no, not really. <laughs> at the time, you know, I I was hoping that. Uh, at the time, no, and then as it went on a little bit, I was like, "Oh, like I that would have been a good because we we meet Coral Junior eventually, hmm. <laughs> we do, and yes. uh, um, you know, and the fact the the way that Felix Leiter keeps coming back for a while, I was like, oh, that would be nice if he just had his constant, you know, the way that kind of Jamaica is woven into so much of Fleming stuff because because that was his where he wrote most of the time that to 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 have kind of him flying through that area and meet up with Quarrel every once in a while would be a nice touch. I like that long term continuity where it's not if you don't know it you don't it doesn't derail everything but it's like oh it's a nice touch like there's that guy again you know and live and let die because the book comes before dr no quarrels a character in live and let die so they didn't have to make him a junior right you know like in the book yeah yeah right right as far as this this movie specifically i just don't think they built the character enough for me to care i mean it's kind of it's a little bit shocking and then you're over it and and i just think they didn't do quite good enough job building him as a likable character. I mean, they like we talked about, they shift gears on the character so abruptly from being kind of a street smart, uh, capable guy to suddenly being this like rummy doofus that's scared <laughs> of dragons. And it's just like, I, I could never get a grip on him, his character. So when he dies, I don't, it's shocking. Like I said, I, I'm not happy to see him go or anything, but it doesn't hit me emotionally in any way. I don't feel yeah. like I connect with any Bond sidekicks. I assume everyone will die and be killed. Like it's it's tough to really get attached to any of them. The one that mm. I liked was the one in uh, For Your Eyes Only. The guy that Topal played. I thought oh, yeah. he was a pretty mm-hmm. good Bond sidekick. Yeah, mustachios. Yeah, it, with the mustachios, right? It was. He was. <laughs> I liked him. He was pretty good. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's that's not really a I, Alex. What you're saying, I, it's not really a quality I should really be seeking in a Bond movie. I guess, <laughs> but I guess, but I feel like that was the question asked. Yeah, like did I care? No, I didn't. And they don't even react that much to it. And again, that's maybe a question of not having the proper coverage, or or it seems like the Ursula Andress reacting to the knifing of the guard <laughs> is almost more dramatic than her reaction to Quarrel getting killed. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and it's almost it's almost closer to like oh gross kind of reaction than it is like, and she doesn't even know him. You know, maybe if they, maybe if her he they had had an interaction with each other at any point, we could have had something to go on with that. I don't know. There was just wasn't any tip. But again, like maybe that's not ever the point of a James Bond movie. I'm never supposed to care. I mean, I suppose, we're supposed to care about Felix Leiter sometimes. And I'll tell you, yeah, I mean, if Jeffrey Wright were to get killed in a James Bond movie, I'd care just because I love Jeffrey Wright. You know, I'd, he's almost as, he's almost builds his own character just by being himself, you know, when he takes the role. Yeah, but they, uh, otherwise, yeah. Yeah, I could see like I think like if if Q, M or Moneypenny died, that would be like because they're recurring people. So that's like but if it's even Felix Leitner, like they brought him back, but clearly not. They didn't care enough to get the same actors. You know, not it's even a different guy every time. Act. So or sometimes the get the same actor. <laughs> yeah. So. The, what was it? Was it the only time they got the same actor, Mitch, that they just chopped his leg off? You know, like they we are supposed to care about that. You guys haven't gotten there yet. Oh, no. We are supposed to care about Felix Leitner and License to Kill. Uh, but that's kind of the catalyst of the whole plot. Mm-hmm. And it's the uh, same actor for Felix. who played him in Live and Let Die. Right. So he's gotten older. James Bond has stayed the same age, but <laughs> right. he seems to have aged a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so you get two two Felixes that are played by the same actor, like the Jeffrey Wright, and then many years apart, and then David Hedison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always well, you only play. I was going to say, you yeah. only play Felix Leiter twice. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're Jeffrey Wright, which I think what? he's going for number three, right? Uh, or is yeah, he? yeah, or is he's he? going to go yeah. for number Maybe. three. I he's think, in the trailer. Yeah, if. Well, that could be a good, you know, we were talking about uh, branching out into different uh, franchise opportunities and TV stuff. Like, you know, the Felix Leiter adventures could be a good James Bond tie-in that, uh, you know, do a, do a, I don't, either as a Netflix series. I don't know what, I don't know who UA has a relationship with, but uh, or whatever. They were going to do a Jinx movie after Dying of the Day, and then mm-hmm. it didn't happen. I think it was actually written. I mean, I I feel like we're about to have Money Penny's about to get a double O, and that's going to be our 
female. That mm. I don't think they're ever going to make a female James Bond. I don't know why that even makes sense to anyone. But having a female double O does make a lot of sense. And then you can have Money Penny have her own movie. And I think that'd be fine. You make a good movie, I'll be there. You know, I think that could be really cool. I see those kind of things happening. And I think you're right about the Felix Leiter thing. I don't know if Jeffrey Wright's up for a, a full-on uh, franchise, though. They might have to recast yeah. Felix, too, which then will be a disappointment unless they find somebody that I'm, I can't think of. <laughs> He'll be Harvey Dented, like they did with uh, right, poor uh, right. Billy D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find the updated list of uh, uh, adjusted for inflation. Domestic revenue is domestic, so that uh, oh, okay. Uh, domestic revenue after inflation. Um, Thunderball is number one, and then wow. Goldfinger, Skyfall, You Only Live Twice, and Moonraker at number five. But again, that's. that's really... um, who knows if that if that's not worldwide? So worldwide affects it a lot, especially recently. Um, yeah, global revenue: Skyfall, one point one billion; Spectre, Casino Royale. Like obviously, it's it's a lot of more recent ones. Um, yeah, Moonraker's in there, at number nine, but that's two two hundred and ten million versus Skyfall's one point one billion. So wow, that's amazing um, in global revenue unadjusted. Yeah, it kind of contradicts our theory, though. Isn't Thunderball the one that came out the closest after another James Bond did. film? It so, came out the same so, year, which is just still just blows my mind. That, yeah, but see, I almost feel like that's a Marvel. They had the Marvel thing going because they make this like kind of earth-shattering Bond film, Gold, uh, Goldfinger. Nobody's seen a Bond like this yet, um, and then they they you know tag it at the end. You know, James Bond will return, <laughs> and and it's like. People spent the whole year waiting for that movie to come out, and then it was in scope. And um, Mitch, our friend Steve, uh, he tells me that you know he remembers the cardboard standees in the theater when he was a little boy of Thunderball and how exciting just seeing the standees were. The anticipation for that movie was pretty high, so I could see. I didn't know that it was the highest grossing adjusted, but I could see why. Well, yeah, I told, how I, much of that is is due to the previous one? You know, what I mean, because Goldfinger was so successful. Like, oh, now everybody wants to go see the next one. You know, people don't. Yeah. People want to be in on it. So right. How much of each movie is is the you know like uh what's the Star Wars adjusted for inflation? Well, obviously the first one is still, but like you know the the weird the weird ones are up there it's it's an interesting mix when you adjust for inflation of of how much of it is based on how good the movie is and how much is based on anticipation but empire was huge right money wise yeah um i think it was somewhat of a disappointment yeah it's the it's the lowest of the first three i didn't know that wow Oh, all I can remember one of my one of my biggest memories of that after seeing the movie i remember my parents and their friends uh, we were at this uh, health club that we went to, and they were all sitting around talking about how much of a drag it was. Like, mm. oh, it just wasn't as fun as the first one. I just didn't, oh. And I just remember thinking they were crazy. I thought they were <laughs> crazy. I was like, are you kidding? That was amazing. Well, could you, how could you say anything bad about Star Wars ever? I'm There's a lot of Thunderball me. haters out there, too, though. Even there though it sure made all are. that money, it, was, it's, there, it, it, it tends to divide opinions. I love Thunderball, but I understand why somebody <laughs> wouldn't. I mean, there's things about it that are to be disliked objectively, and then there's things about it that I can understand uh, boredom setting <laughs> in at certain points in the movie. Looks like, yeah, the original, then Force Awakens, these are all adjusted. Then the Empire. So I guess it did all right. Um, then Phantom Menace. Then Return Highest of the Jedi, the, anticipation. the Last Jedi. Yeah, high anticipation for fans. I thought Return of the Jedi made more money than Empire. I always thought it did. Hmm. I just remember the anticipation for Empire was crazy. Like, I, I just remember Menace thinking too. it was never going to come no. out. <laughs> you know? The, that yeah. year, that, that winter and spring leading up to Phantom Menace, is still. I could still remember. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like palpable anticipation. Yeah. Well, how'd we get? How'd we start talking about Star Wars? It's I don't know, but it's good. It's well, we got to talking about franchises, monies, and franchises, because we got to talk gonna... a little bit about that at some point. So that's great. I appreciate yeah. you going for yeah. those numbers. <laughs> well, does anybody else have anything for these minutes? I think I'm good. Um, I had the one note. She was like, "Yeah, all over the world: Philippines, Bali, Hawaii." And that's not really all. That's 
<laughs> Granted, they're not close, but it's also like, no, you don't really mean all over the world, but it's okay. It's a big world. I did, have, I did have one note that was that the villains, uh, these like hazmat suits they're wearing, mm-hmm. are very close to the naked time. The Enterprise hazmat, you know, like space suits in the naked time, just without the... Totally. Without the crazy kind of Asian influenced patchwork on them, <laughs> uh, but they every time I see a hazmat suit like that, I immediately think of the Naked Time and Spock, and how you can put your hand in under them. <laughs> it's like right. that's not really protecting you from much, there, pal. <laughs> not quite as glittery as the ones. No, there. not as glittery. Yeah. Well, they're not in space. That's true. What do you need glitter for on Earth? Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Do you guys want to plug yourselves? Got any other? What other shows you got going on? Uh, well, speaking of Star Trek, we have a ABCD TOS, <laughs> which is right around the corner. We're, we're uh, nailing down the, battening down the hatches, and getting ready to launch that. We're doing a final shakedown. Right, getting ready to leave. Uh, space dock. <laughs> I tried to get all. <laughs> I'm like, Wait, all that was almost as long head. as leaving space we're dock in the warp first speed. Movie. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> We're like, hoping the doors open in time. Trek, or is that really Star Trek? I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going through, um, John and I, with with our friends Tom and uh, Joe from ABC Devo. We did uh, all through all the Devo songs. Now we're doing all of Star Trek, the original series, alphabetically, of course. Because if it's not release order, it's alphabetical order. That's the way I like it. I love it. That's great. Uh, in addition to our duties on uh, Star Wars Minute, I am the co-host of Godfather Minute, where we go through the Godfather uh, one minute at a time. Uh, so uh, check that out, everyone. Yeah, that, show, that show's only been on for three years now or something. Well, we do one episode a week, so it's a, it's a three-hour film, so it's it's, t- it's taken us uh, you know like 172 weeks or whatever it was to, to get through it. So I'm trying to remember if the last time I saw you, we were in Chicago, we went to a baseball game, and I remember saying... Hey, I've been listening to Godfather Minute, and that was like at least three years ago. Yeah, it's, goes, uh, you know, it's so funny. Slow and steady. It's a great show, though. So Thanks. People check it out. All right, well, you can, uh, of course, find us on uh, Twitter at 007x7podcast or Alien Minute uh, Pod. And come over to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Alien Minute. We've got a lot of commentaries coming out. we got other things, supplemental episodes about James Bond. So come over and listen to us over there. All right. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys.